0: Om Sahana Babatu Sahana Bunaktu Sahaviram Karavahai Tejasminavadhi Tamasthoma Vidvishavahai Om Shantishantishanti. We are in the fourth Anuvaka. Can you make it a little louder, please? We are in the fourth Anuvaka and this Anuvaka is we have talked about this already famous for what is called Sarvatma Bhava Sarvatma means the truth of the Atma as Idam Sarvam all that is here known, unknown is nothing but self. Nothing but myself alone, that is the message of the Upanishads and the message of Sri Rudram in one sentence. This is what is called Sarvatma. And the verse or the stanzas that unfold that is called, you know, that that bhava is called Sarvatma bhava nirupanam is that which unfolds what is called the Oneness of everything. Sarvatma is oneness because Sarvam, Idam, Sarvam, Atma, Eva, Iti, Sarvatma. All that is here known, unknown, what you think exists, what you think doesn't exist, what you think is sthavara. Stavara means what? You know, non moving, what you think is moving, what you think is sentient, what you think is insentient. This is all our mental categories. From the standpoint of Bhagavan, it is all. You know Bhagavan, or you can say it is all Atma oneself from the standpoint of the Jnani who knows oneself as non-separate from Bhagavan, it is all oneself either way you can take it, it's, it this is what is called Sarvatma Bhava the one who you know the one who doesn't make any difference between oneself and anything else is, is called the one who has, who you, you know, who has been blessed with Sarvatma Bhava and so this is an important Anubhaka because in the beginning when we were uh, introducing this Anubhaka I had said that this is what unfolds what is called Sarvatma Bhava and like, uh, you know, yesterday we had a question in the evening class, you know. The people I, you know, the, the things in the Jagat, I have no problem as looking upon as Bhagavan, it's the people. <laughs> if only there were no people, then this would be very fun. Jagat would be fun because then, you know, I just have to deal with non-speaking things. Yeah. <laughs> they may move, like rivers move, wind moves, you know. What? I, you know I don't have to deal with things that talk back. that's the thing. and so then you know this is this would be such a nice universe without speaking things, you know and without you know this 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 whole thing called people you know this is what uh, is universally understood because when we think about people, then again that mamaaha, you know my and not mine. That mamata minus comes, and that minus is a big mine-ness. minus. M-I-N-U-S. <laughs> In terms of this Sarvatma bhava, that minus has to be converted into what? Meanness. You know, the thing is this: that this Sarvatma bhava, you know, is uh, of course starting with people you know, because it's easy to say, oh myself and this wonderful flower are one, you know, I have nothing against this flower, and except allergies, even there there is something sometimes. (laughs) So that's why, you know, the fourth Anuvaka deals with all kinds of people. That is why, because that is where there is the problem. Because until now we were looking at, you know, Bhagavan as as the karma phala, data, etc. And then now we are suddenly looking at, you know, all the people within various strata of the society. You know, and we are not focusing on rajaan, you know, what are are the kings and uh, big bandits, brahmanas, we are not focusing on that, why, because they are in any case an object of respect and a certain desire to be one with one of them, so, but so therefore we are focusing on the least recognized and kutsita, kutsita means critiqued and derided strata of the society. So, we are talking of, you know, in those days, whatever, you know, there was the lowly occupations. Carpenter, you know, and chariot maker, and then what else, you know, Uh, the potter, all these things. Because these are considered, why were they considered lowly? Because they were considered service occupations. Service occupations, which, you know, with some skill, anybody can do. But it's not, I mean, even if you, one had, uh, uh, you know, you, but it takes a lot more skills to be, memori- to be memorizing the entire Veda. You know, it's a different kind of a thing. Not that anything is higher or lower, but this is from the society standpoint seen as lowly because uh, even now it is like that. Certain things are much more uh, valued in society, certain occupations, you know, especially when one is of a marriageable age you know. So you have a daughter of marriageable age and she comes home and says dad, mum, what you know, I am in love. So first thing what will you say? Who, what does the fellow do? Correct? What does this person do? And then what will she say? He has his own band. (laughs) (laughs) This is the What is that? This is every Indian parent's night, collective nightmare, you know. So he has his own band, mom, which, you know, it's very famous and where where is it famous? In the garage. So he has a garage band and meaning just a few friends, you know, and, you know, rubbing sticks and stones together and, uh, you know, this is what it is. All just some kind of, you know, primitive sounds uh, come out, you know. And uh, primitive sounds come out when the attempt is made to produce music. And uh, then, you know, and then of course, when a few teenagers or young adults get together, what happens, you know, they start thinking that uh, even the most mundane ideas that they may have are very elevated and exalted. Ah. This is called a pervasive delusion. <laughs> yeah. So they start thinking, oh, this is a great idea, don't you think this is a great idea? And there are oh, other three, three people, you know, of the same cadre, they are not more objective or anything. So suddenly it looks like a great idea, the lyrics of some song and everything. And so the daughter is in love with a rapper. Correct? Yeah. (laughs) And so then, you know, then immediately what does the parent say? Nothing doing over my dead body. This is not happening. Okay. And so, so there is already a kind of a you know, distinction that is being made that this is not son-in-law material as far as the parents are going, you know. From the standpoint of the parents, the son-in-law material means someone who is, you know, who who is either employed or at the very least employable, okay. (laughs) Meaning some education must be there, some background must be there. So employed or employable. And employed where employed in some kind of a you know gainful occupation that uh, actually produces something called a paycheck, not you know not that they spread out a blanket and uh, do some things and uh, hope that people will put some money you know this is not son- in law material, correct, yeah. Because, when, why, I mean, same thing with daughter-in-law also, but uh, usually people are, you know, much more protective and loving of daughters. That's why I'm giving this example. So, uh, this is not son-in-law material. And the son-in-law material in, in the mind of the parent is, is who? You know, is the one who is well-educated and the one who is able to, you know, uh, keep the daughter in the kind of a comfort that, that the parents have been able to give her. So at least, if nothing, that same similar standard should be there, that is the hope. And so therefore, there is a strata of desirable and in laws sons, sons-in-law. And what are the desirables? somebody who is a, you know, from the Indian standpoint, somebody who is a doctor, very, very desirable, you know, and what else engineer, professor, and then what else, you know, huh? Vedanti nobody wants. Yeah. Yeah. Brahmachari in white clothes to be completely avoided. Yeah. You, you don't make eye contact if you see such a person, you keep moving on. Yeah. Yes, you'll invite him to your house and ask him to give you Gita classes, that's okay. Yeah. But not marriage material, yeah, because in the resume, if you say, I know Bhagavad Gita, big deal, who cares? I have self-knowledge, I have Atma Jnanam, you write and then go on the resume, on your CV, you write, I have self-knowledge. And then go and try to peddle for a job. Nobody will, nobody will hire. So all that is not, uh, you know, so no, not Vedantin, no, Vedant out, yeah, <laughs> that is better and then you know and then so there are gradations and at the very the, and you know the entertainment industry comes at the very end ah, starting with garage band etc because it's full of ups and downs and the vagaries of everything and so therefore this is something you know this is this is based on what on the the, the judgment of the person who is in the Shoes of the parent here, who is playing the role of the parent, about what is considered good, what is considered safe, what is considered needed, you know, and what is, you know, not acceptable. And that is all based on what? What is all this gradation based on? Huh? Huh? No, don't get all Vedantin on me, we are talking about. <laughs> What are talking of a worldly example. Come on, what what are these gradations? Uh, but what is that occupation based on? What is this? Ah, now we are talking. Ah. You know, this is what it is. It's all based on economics. It's all sheer economics. Who is worshipped and who is not even looked at? Who is seen as a huge, big fellow and who is not? And so here, because of these gradations in our mind, you know, because we have those gradations, then, you know, the Rudram takes it upon itself to remove those gradations by addressing, you know, the, this particular, uh, what is that, this bias within us. By, you know, talking about all the various people belonging to the various strata of society as all what? Manifestations of the Lord. And then of course after the, you know, after the class a question will come. So that means I have to accept this fellow as the (laughs) son-in-law. Does that? Doesn't matter whether you do or not is your personal, you know, business. But at the very least, you have to see him as a manifestation of the Lord, Ah, that is what the idea is. So this is the, this is the whole thing, because we have this judgment. We have judgment about everything, whether we are asked or not, we have a judgment. (laughs) You know, oh I don't like this, who asked you? Nobody asked you whether you like this or not. But I am very, I am the first one to say I don't care for this. And usually it's like I said, things are easy to deal with because you can avoid the things. If you don't like something, you can avoid, you know. But with people, you know, they can follow you. (laughs) So you cannot avoid the person at all. And so, therefore... And and this kind of a separation between oneself and others based on occupation, economics, money, and the kinds of jobs they do, you know, etc. Because we have all some stereotypes, you know, and the modern stereotypes are many. Like for example, you know, there is the idea that uh, people who are construction workers, you know, that means what? Oh, you have to be careful. Especially if you are a woman and you are going there, you have to be careful because they they may whistle, you know. Like this, some some stereotypes are there, you know. And you know, and if if somebody is looking to be uh, what is that, without a house, homeless, and then there are certain stereotypes. You clutch your wallet a little, your pocketbook a little, you hug it a little more tightly. And you just, uh, you know, if you have it in your pocket, you kind of pat the pocket (laughs) to make sure it is still there, correct? And if you can avoid a straight confrontation, you take the detour. (laughs) You don't mind taking the long way out of the situation just to not have to encounter and because the person makes one uncomfortable. And why does the person make one uncomfortable? Partly because of the guilt. You know, I have clothes to wear, I have nice things to eat and this person doesn't and partly because these stereotypes of what that person might do because that person doesn't have and so a have not is approaching a have which is me and so when the have not approaches the have you know the, the, the best case scenario is that the person says please give me some money and the worst case scenario is that he or she helps herself or himself to what you considered, you know, mama, my money. <laughs> ah. So this way, there are all these gradations based on stereotypes. And those stereotypes keep one, I mean, you know, in the, in the whirlpool of dwaita, duality. So this whirlpool of duality, where one each bubble is separated from another bubble, you know, not knowing that they are just manifestations of water. You know, Pena, bubble, and uh, you know what is that, this uh, um, eddies and you know, foam, and all these things, these are just manifestations of water. So, not knowing that is a costly mistake, and so this is uh, this Anuvaka is a um, attempt to remove or neutralize these deep rooted, what is that called, you know prejudices by seeing everything as a manifestation of Bhagavan. So then that's why the word Namaha is there. Namaha means surrender unto that person who I considered lowly, who is nothing but a manifestation of the Lord and surrender to my own inability to see him or her in that way. So this surrender is, you know, is a double surrender because I am not able to see that, so surrender namaha, you know, may I be able to see this and appreciate this fact. And so, (coughs) we are in the middle of this and uh, it's on page 13 slash 40, I don't know what that means, but (laughs) no, which is the other one I think. Yeah, 14 slash 40, 14 out of 40 perhaps. Yeah, so 14th page where it says 11. Namaha kshatribhyaha sangrahi tribhyascha wo namaha. So wo namaha means vaha unto that namaha and unto you know unto all of you. So directly, you know, unto all of you namaha. And what is that here? Kshatribyaha means the head charioteers. What do do they do? They teach other people, you know, this art. So the teachers, here the Shikshakaha, so the teachers of these, you know, these uh, charioteers, uh, unto that, you know, the Uh, 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 you know, unto that. So these are the shikshakaha. So the the art of uh, riding a chariot or driving a chariot is not easy because, you know, it's not a leisure drive in some park. You take the chariot out and, you know, this was what was done in Victorian England. You wave, you know, there was something called the season. No oh, short time in England, in London, where it would not rain, so all the aristocracy would come, gather and you know, in their big, big houses. And then, you know, there was nothing, no, no email, no internet, no smartphone. And uh, so, what else to do? And no shadi.com matrimonial columns. So, what did they have to do in order to, you know, find eligible uh, bachelors, bachelorettes, whatever it is. And so, then they had to, they would, you know, have a little, promenade in the park so they would all get dressed up and you know have their breakfast and then go in their ratha and the rathas would be very grand based on their uh, you know and based on their uh, status in the society and then you could see the arms on on the emblazoned on the side of the doors of the chariot and know what a big you know whether this person is a big Marquis or a duke or some big shot, and then of course, if there's a young thing sitting there, then everybody wants to marry her. Not because of, you know, not because of her, but because she's the daughter of such a big person. And so they would wave to each other and come back, and that was very easy to drive. So such charioteers, they don't need anything, you know, they don't need these shikshakas. Because they are just driving in a park and all you have to do is avoid a few other horses and then go around in a circle and then go home, you know. That is all it was. And, and then they didn't even have to deal with cars in those days because this was the main ma- mode of horse, uh, you know, horse buggies and these chariots were the main mode of transportation. But these Radhas in the, in ancient India were used where? Battlefield. Ah. For war, that is, and you try driving a chariot in the war. Yeah, first of all, there is a prahara. You know, there is a bouquet of arrows coming at you, <laughs> and and the person sitting or standing behind the chariot is protected by the the charioteer. So, the charioteer should not let the chariot fall because even if you you know, even if your army is still intact, if your chariot falls, if the commander in chief or the big person may be a commander of one uh, unit of the army called Akshav so the commander, if that commander fell, it was as good as the battle was lost. So the charioteer had to dodge the arrows and also protect the person behind to navigate through to get the person to hit at the targets that that person was commanding, take me there, take me here, you know, that's why nobody could touch Arjuna because who is driving the chariot? Ah, all the arrows have to pass through him And, uh, and so he was invincible. And that is what is the, you know, and of course, I should not stray because this is the, uh, this is evening topic. (laughs) (laughs) Then if I talk about it now, I'll have nothing to talk about (laughs) in the evening. (laughs) So, that is to be, that is, you know, more later, but the chariot has to go through all these difficult conditions. And so these kshatribhyaha is, these are the people, the Kshatrivyaha vaha unto you, or the teachers of the charioteers, the people who would teach and the teaching also included what? How to repair the chariot, first aid kit would be there, chariot repair kit would be there. And how to, you know, navigate this, I mean Kaikei was a Kshatrivyaha, you know. So, she was there and she knew how to drive a chariot, she knew how to do all this, she was you know, very adept and in case of an accident, an emergency, how to keep it going. All this was part of the art of this, you know, these teachers of charioteers, these charioteers of charioteers and unto them, unto all of you in the form of the teachers of the charioteers. Namaha! Because of whom the chariots run in an orderly fac- fashion, because of whom the battles can be fought and won, you know, dharmic battles. Because of whom this art is still alive unto that namaha. Why? Because you are nothing but, that's why that is vaha namaha, unto all of you, you are addressing the do- Lord, you know, directly. So you're not saying, may I look upon the charioteer and the teacher of the charioteer as Bhagavan?" You know, that's the third person. Correct? Yeah. Here it is, you are Bhagavan, And you are, you know, and unto you, namaha. So kshatribhyaha. And sangrahitribhyaha means the um, sangraha, pragraha means rains. You know, not... Not reins, you know, but R-E-I-G-N-S, reins of the horses. So there is a group of people who manage the reins, sangrahi, tribya, namaha. So unto those people who manage the reins, because there is all this, you know, what is that driving? Left turn signal, what to do, you know? and. Uh, you know here when you drive a car it's very simple you know you just put the turn signal you have to just you know put one lever down and it uh, it is the, the signal starts to blink but here you know you're dealing with a live animal the horse it's very sensitive and so the horse has a bit in the mouth and then you know certain things are pulled and then you have to be careful i hear, i don't know i've not ridden the horse but i heard that if you pull the left side it will turn right so it's uh, you know like reversing it's the opposite what you think you're doing it should be opposite of that and so like this how to make it stop because if it's running fast you want to make it stop how to um, you know judge when it is tired and hungry and when it cannot go even a step forward all these things this is what is the um, sangrahitra, you know these are the people who, who, who are the masters of how to rein in the horse and it's called breaking the horse, poor thing, breaking it in for riding. What an expression, because otherwise it's just going wildly, happily, but here you are trying to quote unquote tame it and you have to break, break means what, break its will to be free and to domesticate it that is what is the break here ah, you're breaking it in so that it will behave as you want it to behave in fact one of the you know saddest things that i have seen was when i went to some uh, that uh, uh, that uh, conference in uh, austria a saudi uh, conference i had gone for a conference and there they said oh we have some wonderful entertainment for you And everybody, you know, was wondering what is this wonderful entertainment. And uh, so we had all the meetings and everything in the morning. And then there in the evening, we we were taken to a big open lit ground and we were told that the horses are going to dance. I said, how are the horses going to dance? What is this? And uh, I mean, they did dance. It's very, you know, um, intricate maneuvers. And these, only this particular breed of horses can do that. I forgot the breed. huh? Yeah, what, that one. And uh, so, (laughs) so they only, and they have these small, small steps, and they are small, statured, and then they take two steps forward, backwards, so they can do Kathak, they can do Bharatanatyam, they can go sideways, they can go forward, back. But, you know, It was a production but then I I was, uh, I could see the pain in the horses. I could just connect with with that and I was sitting with some other swamis from, uh, you know, uh, they were from Vrindavan, Rishikesh and and, uh, we could not sit through, we just could not sit through because from from our standpoint, you know, committed to a life of ahimsa, non-injury, You know you could see that the you know horse was not happy doing that okay it was you know built small and it had small footsteps but it could see that this was just a you know because it had to be they they were uh, you know whipping it once in a while and they told us it's just got a little uh, what is that fur tip so it doesn't hurt you know okay maybe it doesn't hurt but still you know would you like to be doing that (laughs) performance for a so some people, that's the thing, and the bright lights, and you know, it was all just a uh, thing. So, like this, you know, so they are also, you know, the point is, you know, unto them, those who train those LPs on horses, unto them also Namaha. This is very difficult for us to say that, correct? Yeah, unto them also Namaha. It's a bizarre and a kind of a strange uh, you know entertainment and a strange way of doing this but you know such things exist and the such things I'm not able to have any power to ward off and regardless of what I think it is there so better to you know make it you know see it as what it is what it is is a manifestation of the Lord that cannot be denied you know that's what the whole thing is so sangrahi O namaha and then namaha takshabhyaha radhakaarebhyascha namaha takshaha is carpenter and then uh, radhakaarebhyaha is the carpenters that only make chariots specific chariot makers so that is that is the whole idea so these are all you know occupations that are extremely skilled but then in the minds of the people, they, you know, they are not valued. So somebody who works with wood, it's not easy to work with wood, you know, and uh, it's not easy at all. But uh, that, you know, occupation is not highly valued compared to someone who is, you know, an engineer or some software or some kind of a thing. And so, so these gradations are, uh, you know, are uh, looked at as Bhagavan and uh, we could see that the, you know, in the ancient times the charioteers uh, were not highly valued because of what? We see in the Mahabharata, Karna was adopted by a charioteer couple and then he never got over it because they called him, you know, son of a charioteer. And he resented that. He resented being called a son. I mean, what's wrong? That's the that's the reality. Is that he was adopted by a charioteer, but he resented that because of the gradations in society and this not being a valued occupation, and also because he knew he was a prince. He was neither here nor there. He knew he was somehow, you know, below, He he deserved better. He, you know, after all, the son of the Lord's son comes with a huge ego, <laughs> ah, big ego, sun-sized ego, and and so he says, "I'm shining, I'm bright," I, and he he was born with a huge sense of entitlement. And I'm in the wrong place. This is these are not my parents. He disowned them. He's like, I'm you know. I belong to them and he was seething with resentment and that shows us that this group of people who did this very important work of uh, doing what is needed for the war were not valued at all. And so therefore in that spirit of taking everything that's the least valued occupation and least valued economy in the society, this is how it, uh, it unfolds and all of them are Ishwarized, you know, made into a manifestation of Ishwara and then what, you know, same thing Kulalebhyah Karmarebhyascha Vonamaha So, this Kulala means potter, you know, potter Karmarebhyah means these, you know, people who do this, uh, what is that, you know, iron smith, yeah blacksmith, iron smith, this smithy work, you know, who smelt the metals and put things together, all this ancient art of soldering things together, making things, you know, work. And of course, without that the chariot will not even stand because the wheels have to be, you know, put together, axle has to be done, everything has to be soldered, all these things are there. And so, these are, you know, the various smiths in the, in the society. You know, blacksmith, iron smith, this smith, that smith, all these, you know, uh, all of them are there. And, you know, we have this in rural India also. in, In the ancient times, I mean, even not so ancient times, even about, you know, few decades back, such people would come shouting their trade in front of the houses. Now everything is apartments. They can't do that and nobody will hear and nobody will care. But in those days of streets with independent houses, they would come. Like there would be a person who would just come with a wheel to sharpen your knives. That was the only job. So some kind of a smith, you know, so he would call out. Bring out the knives. (laughs) Here I am. (laughs) Come and get your knives sharpened. How long will you cut vegetables with that blunt knife? Come out one and all. And all the people from the houses would bring a packet of knives and he would sit on this thing and then you know you could see sparks flying and then he would sharpen the knife uh, and then give it and then three months later he would come back again because this is services we need and so like this all these occupations were there and then there was another fellow that used to come in the villages and you know certain uh, pots, cooking pots are not... uh, worthy of eating out of, because they have that, uh, they have that patina of that, uh, what is that, some kind of a fungus or some green uh, algae or something grows, yeah, yeah, some oxidization, something happens like brass, etc. And so he would, you know, he would come and put a steel coating, you know, he would smelt the steel, it was amazing to watch. And he would put a coating to make it worthy of putting it on the stove and then you could go cook and afterwards it would wear out again. He would come back in six months or once a year and then do this, you know. And then so this is one more art and then, you know, who are these people? These are the people who are the, you know, who are the, uh, you know, as good as centipedes. Who People don't give a second look in society but they keep things going. They keep the pots, you know, intact. So all these repair people, these, you know, that was really nice to watch. He would coat it and then put it in some mud and then remove kind of like that mud or that, uh, not mud, sand, would have the, you know, effect of sandpapering the inside to remove the excess metal. And it was so nice because after that, it would be all very smooth and he would give the pot and the lady of the house then would cook with the pot. After washing it, you can cook with the pot again, and so like this, you know, the knife sharpeners and these small small repair work people, and all these people, they are you know called karma Rebhyaha. and so unto them, are, uh, you know, and unto this, unto the karma rebhyas, namaha, you know, salutations, because people who don't, we don't give a second look and these are the people that is you know that is nothing but the lord and now we come to some other more difficult manifestations and then what is that punjistebhyah namaha nishadebhyascha o namaha so punjistebhyah means people who you know trap the birds for a living yeah that is what they go to the forest and they dig a hole, okay? and then they dig a hole and they cover that hole with a net but the net should not be seen because if the net is seen, the birds are not going to fall into the net they are not stupid, you know even though we have an expression bird brain birds are more intelligent than we are (laughs) Ah. yeah look at the crow for example, I mean it's very intelligent and so, so then They put a net, there is a hole, they put a net, a kind of a net with a primitive, you know, thing that gathers it all up and then there is a rope and that rope goes on some tree and then that rope is all smeared with brown colour, earth, so that it, it blends into the background. So the net is not seen because the net is covered with a false forest floor of leaves. And then over the leaves, then you put some seeds, nuts, berries, nice mixture of all the things that various birds like you put and then you and what does the Punjishta do? Punjishta sits behind with a rope in the hand behind another shrub or the tree and then chirping chirping they all come and then you know And then what? Each one chirps and invites a few other relatives and friends, free food, come, 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 (laughs) come and eat, right here, don't have to go anywhere, come, come, come. And then, when there is a sizable harvest of these birds eating there, when the Punjishta sees, He pulls the rope and there is a pulley mechanism where all of them along with the berries and the forest floor are trapped, the berries and the forest floor falls away from the net and the birds are the net gain unfortunately. And then what would he do? He would go sell them because these are all for exotic birds, parrots and things like that. And then in the old, even in the olden days, we would see that people had the habit of keeping birds in cages. How do we know? How do we know that? Ah, Exactly. Uh, Adi Shankara went for Vada Bhiksha. He went to have a debate and uh, they were not opening the door for a while because they were having some function in the house they couldn't hear. So when he knocked at the door then he was waiting and then he looked around and he saw this parrot you know, chanting the Rig Veda, yeah, parrot was chanting the Rig Veda with all the appropriate swaras up and down everything, without the head going up and down it was chanting, (laughs) unlike us and then, you know, uh, it was chanting wonderfully and then he said, okay, if the parrot is, you know, chanting like this, imagine the owner, how much more, you know, how much more of a Pandit he must be. So like that, uh, so we know that this this was a very ancient thing, practice of keeping birds as pets and helping, making them talk, helping them learn shlokas, all these things. And uh, so, you know, especially coming from, you know, this, uh, you know, coming from a ahimsa culture, these are all very difficult things to say. Why should it be his livelihood? We can argue, you know. But the Rudram says that's not the point, you know, that's not the point, why should it be his livelihood, you know, that's what his father did, that's what his grandfather, great-grand. that's what his parents did, his parents, parents, parents did that and that's all what he knows. No, but he has the choice, okay, if you can convince him, go convince him, first give him a job, give him your job and then, you know, and then you, you first convince him. Well, this is not a good way, give him an alternate occupation and then, you know, then you can uh, tell him to give it up. But otherwise, you know, what right do we have to say that, you know, this is to judge the person, you know. You can judge the behavior, but not the person, This this is what is the lesson here. And then, you know, and the trapping of birds, if it sounds cruel and if it sounds difficult, then we are reminded here to see this as, as, you know, as a manifestation of Bhagavan. To see the people who do this, because where is our anger directed? Our frustration and anger is obviously not directed at the birds. And it's directed also at the people who buy and keep these birds in cages. But more than that, we say if they were not available for sale, nobody would keep them. So, more the, the the person who's targeted the most here is the trapper, correct? And so that trapper is nothing but what? Oh oh Lord, it is you. This is nothing but you. It's a manifestation of you, and this is where we need to go. This is where we need to drop that subjectivity, and that subjectivity is in the judgment of his occupation, number one, and then. Feeling like he is doing something so reprehensible and that is you know and so targeting the person for that occupation that is what is told to you know put it to rest within ourselves by saying o namaha. So punjishte bhyascha namaha nishade bhyascha vo namaha. Nishada are people who trap animals and uh, fish. What What for? Not to keep as pets. What for? Ah, yes. For, for food. So the hunters, various kinds of hunters and then the fisher people who, who go to the, when there is some kind of a particular tide, they go in the boats again with a big net and bait and then they bait the fishes. And then what? So that you can have your omega 3 and uh, whatever else, you know. And uh, they bait the uh, animals and then they go and bait the fishes and then what? Then there are, we have to include here, then there are people who skin, who who are skinners, who skin the animal. Uh, What is that called? Taxi, taxidermy taxidermy and so the taxidermists are also included They skin they kill the animal then they skin the animal and then what the skin is used for some you know shoes and asanas and all these things and then the uh, bones are used the flesh is used all these things for food and all this you know these are things that we don't even like to think about and we don't want to you know And even if somebody is eating meat, they don't like to think about this, yeah. Even if one is a non-vegetarian, as we say, you know, they don't like to think about it. Because in America and Western countries especially, you know, mostly America, because here what happens, you know, you don't see the whole process. You don't see the killing, you don't see the, all these things. And then you, I mean and nobody has even visited a slaughterhouse, much less we know where they are. And so, you know, you don't see all these things. And so how does the meat come? It comes on a styrofoam with a saran wrap on top of it. So one is disconnected from the process of the production. And then you know it be why and it becomes therefore it becomes easier to ingest it because one is away from the pain of the animal and the animal. And frankly, the gruesome process of, you know, plucking a chicken and whatever else it entails, it is very difficult to even imagine. So, it's much easier to look at something that is already cut in the shape of a piece of bread. So, you can put it between two pieces of bread and, you know, what is that called, sandwich, meat, etc. And, but one is disconnected from that, you know, from the process of this killing and so then it becomes easier to eat it and how else is it easier to eat because we don't uh, take the name of the animal you know yeah so it is like would you like nobody says will you eat some baby cow you know it has a name what is the name wheel yeah and uh, and then you know nobody says have a pig come on you know it is pork And then nobody says i'm eating a cow it is beef so this way you give a different name to the disembodied uh, you know parts of the animal dismembered disembodied animal so you're not in touch with the animal you know and if you ask uh, you know uh, one of our swamis is there and uh, he was he grew up in washington washington state and uh, he uh, grew up in a farm, and then uh, he he was an American uh, man, and then when he was young, he fell in love with one of the calves in the farm, they called him George, everything, everybody was just loving this George, and he also loved George, and then one day he didn't see George around, and you know, and at the dinner table he asked, where is George, wife son, the parents said. You just had him for dinner, you know. And because that's how the farm life is, that's how it was. And then he said, he was eight years old at that time, he said that's what made him want to be a Swami. He didn't know what a Swami was, he didn't know anything. But that's when he said, this is something extremely wrong, you know. This is something very, very, very wrong. And he became a vegetarian at that young age. He just said, I'm not going to eat if you are not going to make something that doesn't involve any of these animals. And uh, so that is, you know, so if one is in touch with it, it is very difficult to accept this. And uh, so, but there are people who eat this and there are people who, you know, bring it to the shop, table, whatever it is. And what do we have to see? You have to see them as Bhagavan. You have to see them as the manifestations of the Lord and instead of passing a judgment, you know, like I said, if you want to give them a job, or if you want to maintain their whole family, then only you have the, uh, you know, then only you have the privilege of saying, please don't do this, I'll give you a, a, a better occupation, something that interests you, something that you would like to do. And so that is that is all, you know, all these hunters. And so in a way, you know, we can't say, and this is another place that the Rudram would like us to go. In a way we cannot even say that these people are disrupting the order. You know because the order is Bhagavan and any disruption in the order is also the manifestation of the Lord because in our understanding we don't have evil, devil etc. in our culture, in our philosophy and so anything that is causing a disturbance, that you think is causing a disturbance is what is yet another manifestation of the Lord, because in uh, in the con- conceptualization of the order, the conceptualization of the order of the Lord includes disorder. It's an order that includes disorder, and we should be okay with this disorder, because the disorder. When you look deeply into the disorder, it's all everything is in order. And so to these people who you might despise are in order that is the that is the teaching here and then what namaha uh, yeah so that you know now a little more benign forms now we, we can heave a sigh of relief here <laughs> namaha ishukrit you know and dhanvakrit you know namaha you know they are just uh, Specialised carpenters making bows and arrows. Uh, Carpenters and blacksmiths who are making arrows and bows. Ah, thank God, you know. Of course, then those arrows and bows are bought by the Nishadas (laughs) and the Punjishtas. But we are not going there because we have already discussed it and left it behind. So, the ones who are making the bows and arrows, unto them, Namaha namaha to the bow maker namaha to the arrow maker and then you know all of you are just the lord you i see the lord in you and then now back to bad news again namaha mrigayu <coughs> mrigayu means people who are pursuing animals and Shwanibhyascha o namaha, shwani means people who train uh, dogs, dog trainers for, uh, you know, shows and everything. Or, uh, you know, uh, what is that, these, these dogs that corral the animals in the field, uh, sheep dogs. Huh? Herding dogs, sheep dogs, yeah. So these sheep dogs, they corral the animals in the field. Yeah, If they corral sheep, it's okay, but then, you know. But then sometimes they also corral animals to for slaughter, they make bring the animals all together. So like this there are these these uh, people who train these kinds of dogs and some other people train dogs for performance like these hounds and all these greyhounds and all these things and you see this in the, this is, what is that Westminster uh, dog show and again another, Uh, thing where you see it's all for the owners, the dogs could care less yeah, (laughs) it's all for the it's a salve to the ego of the owner that oh look at how nice my dog is trotting around the circle and yes sit up, it sits up on your hind legs, it's on the hind legs, give a shake hand, it shakes your hand and then you know roll over, it rolls over all the time it thinks these people are crazy (laughs) you know (laughs) And then what you know and then each time there is one little dog biscuit, dog treat only when it sees the treat in the hand it will roll over, yeah. otherwise it won't roll even in the performance, you, you know the, the pocket is full of dog treats and then you show the treat, it rolls over, sit up, it sits up and then you know and then there are all these obstacle courses and there is a tunnel and it has to go from one end and come out of the other end. And then what, you know, then it has to jump some uh, hoops, you know, this is all just the anthropomorphization because in life, the person had to jump through hoops and you make the job, poor dog also, jump through obstacle courses and hoops and you know, and this ring of fire, all these kinds of crazy things. These are the, you know, these are people who are very dogged about (laughs) what they do, extremely. And very, very, they, they want to do this, and so these dog trainers, and of course, we have, you know, sitting here, we have a lot of judgment about why they have to do this, what's wrong with them, you know. And, and obviously, then they give a blue ribbon, a certificate with a blue ribbon on it. The ribbon is not for the dog, the certificate is not for the dog. And the pedigree is not for the dog, it's for the owner. Because if it, the certificate was for the dog, you should present it to the dog. And if you present it to the dog, what will the dog do? It will assimilate it. Ah. It will eat it. It may not eat your homework, but it will definitely eat this. So therefore, the dog will not even see the certificate. The owner will be smiling from ear to ear and flaunting the certificate. And you know, so such dog owners and uh, dog trainers, you know, what what can you say except namo namaha, Wo namaha. And to all of you, you are nothing but Bhagavan. and let me drop the scales of judgment just because I don't want to parade around my dog, you know, in this show. That doesn't mean that I have to be in a place of judgment and judging others who do that, you know. So that is, uh, uh, you know, that is what it is. So that, but before the dog we had someone else, yeah, I was avoiding this, okay, yeah. So (laughs) can't avoid it anymore mrigayuhu, you know, mrigayati, or we can say, mrigam yati, iti mrigayuhu, mriga is animal, deer, animals in general, yati means, you know, anugachanti, they go behind the animal, they pursue the animal for food and killing, and for its skin, and sometimes they have that, what is that, kasturi mriga, what is that, some... uh, navel of a particular kind of a deer, musk deer and so for the musk uh, whether it's for the musk or the tusk all these killings are there and so they you know so these are the people who call Mrigayuhu these exotic animal hunters therefore can be uh, you know that is the translation for the word Mrigayuhu because uh, you know this is not your uh, regular uh, person who uh, kills some deer or whatever but these are very highly exotic deer for their skins and exotic animals for the trade in the tusks and all these things. You know, poachers, basically, because you know, those are all protected animals. So, mrigayu means the ones who uh, surreptitiously poach the animals. I mean, how many times do we, you know, open the news and we see that this fellow was caught with 25, uh, uh, you know, what was that? Leopards. No, not, they were not leopards. Uh, There were some small reptiles. 25 snakes in the suitcase, snakes or something. And then, uh, you know, cheetah babies, two or three cheetah babies uh, drugged in the suitcase. And a baby orangutan drugged in the suitcase, all this we see. And then these are all mrigayus, modern mrigayus, trying to, I mean, I don't know what they are thinking. I mean, once it goes through the X-ray scanner, it's all very clear, you know. And then you, you see, you see the bones of the animals, you know, and then immediately. And how can you be so silly? But yeah, people are. And the desperation to, to, to for this kind of a trade, and the pressure is so much, that this is what they will do. And then, you know, so these are the Mrigayubhya. And then we have what? Shvanibhyascha. Yeah, this Shvanibhyascha is a, 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 a we have seen. This is the dog, dogged people. And then what, namaha shvabhyaha shvapatibhyasca namaha, so unto those poor dogs who are subject to all this kind of inhuman treatment and unto the lord of the dogs, the keeper of the dogs, namaha shvabhyaha shvapatibhyasca o namaha. So more we will see, tomorrow we will start anuvaka number five. So I will introduce that, and then we can talk about that. Om pur namadav pur namidam pur na pur Namadachate pur pur namada shishate Om shanti 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 Om Sri Gurubhyo Namaha Harihi Om. Shri Guru